Masai, everybody. Uh, welcome to Koshian Cast, the number one podcast about breast explosions. My name is Matt, uh, and joining me today is my very special guest, Matt. Uh, I I appreciate zero percent of that intro, but uh, whatever. Let's. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, so you may have noticed an interesting greeting uh, this morning or this evening on Koshi. It doesn't matter what time it is; they're gonna listen to it whenever they listen to it. It's not. Well, I wanted to acknowledge because I was gonna do Konnichiwa, but I kind of figured, you know, that everybody knows that. I want to do, you know, just a little bit something different. I did Good Evening instead. Okay, but why did you do it in Japanese, Matt? I did do it in Japanese. So, uh, our listener base has actually. We have a larger listener base in Japan now than we do in the United States. Well, yeah, we have a larger larger listener base in Japan than any other country. It used, you right. know, up until now, the U.S. had the most uh, listeners, but things have shifted. So, hi, Japan. Yes, that is correct. So, welcome, welcome. Um. So yeah, we. This is the part where we say, it's the seventh week of the summer anime season. <laughs> Apparently you broke somewhere in there. Speaking other languages is confusing. Uh, we are covering every sports anime from August 13th to the 19th. Um, and I think we have a question of the week, Matt. Oh, do we? Yeah, it's from a guy named Matt E. Uh, he <laughs> is me. And uh, he asks... Uh, Matt's. Oh, thanks. Uh, uh, Matt, <laughs> uh, what is your favorite opening theme from any of the series you've watched for Koshian Cast? Oh, that's an easy one. That is Yuri on Ice. That is History Maker uh, by Dean Fujioka. Uh, I actually still listen to that one on occasion, and uh, I actually have that blaring in the song uh, in my car, and I will I sing along to it all the time. All the time? All the time. I, I What I love about that is that, you know, it, it's funny to me because Yuri on Ice gets uh, kind of proclaimed, you know, it's sort of pushed as being this very friendly, welcoming show. But what really struck me about the show, it was really the opening because of how showy and, like, how declarative it was. Like, they, like this was a show that began with a purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like History Maker, you know, it it begins with a very bold proclamation. You know, we were born to make history. Yeah. Like this was a show that that just oozed confidence to me. Uh, and like I still like that is one of my all time favorite anime openings. I would actually say. That's a pretty good answer. Um, yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, I'm trying to remember the name, and when I say remember the name, I mean look up the name <laughs> on Anime News Network, and it, I have to say that the answer to your question is, uh, dramatic from, uh, the first season of Big Windup. Oh, okay, that's fair. Uh, yeah, we do have a bit of a history with that one. Yeah. You know, a, a boy meets a girl, or a boy meets Yume. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I love some semi-sensical Eng English, and uh, also it's just like a really catchy song, and I always sing along. Yeah, no, I, I get that. I, I mean, get that. the opening of our, you know, podcast is Fly from Haikyuu, but obviously we didn't watch that season for this show right. otherwise i probably would have said that yeah no i mean that one is kind of a legend of its own is it a uh, legend? from the most recent <laughs> a modern legend sure is that a is that an oxymoron it probably is yeah um but any hoodle do you want to just move on to the uh to welcome to the ballroom yeah take it away okay cool so we are covering uh episode seven so this is the beginning of the tenpei cup uh, generally, what we get, uh, uh, Tadara and Mako uh, get just sort of barely squeezed by the first round of the Tenpei Cup, where uh, uh, Shizuku and uh, Gaju manage to just like like blow right through it, just based on their silhouette. Uh, throughout the episode, we get some interplay between uh, Tadara and Gaju, sort of like hemming and hawing towards one another. Uh, 
Tadara manages to actually beat uh, Gaju at a very small moment of the episode, or like during the uh, the second heat where he manages to beat him to the uh, the proper dancing space, like a nice open space so he doesn't get knocked around. Uh, the very end of the episode ends with the reveal that Hyodo is actually there uh, to watch the uh, the match because his mother got invited as a special guest uh, judge for this competition. That is accurate. <laughs> Did I miss anything there? Um. Well, we can go into it. I. So, what? What was your? We can start. Start with your takeaways. Uh, I. I generally enjoyed this episode. I think something that the series is doing very well, at the very least... Uh, well, first of all, it I feel like I am getting more hang of what the sport of ballroom dancing is really like. Yeah, I really that's like, what I was going to say. Yeah, base, I, like, I really like this fact that even like finding a space on the floor is its own form of competition... Uh, and I like how they kind of brought it around home. Like, this was not something that Gaju probably should have even lost, because bo it was both uh, Tadara and Gaju who were kind of rushing to the space. Uh, and, like, the only reason Gaju is even doing this is because he's so heated. Like, he's in so he, like he's so incensed by Tadara, like, daring to challenge him, that, like, he's sort of taken aback when Tadara manages to even, like, knock him away from the space. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, it's like, it's a small element like that. It's a nice little, it's a nice little character building moment for Tadara. Because, you know, this does, it's a moment that kind of shows him to at least be on semi-equal ground to Gaju after all the building up that they've done for him, after all this time. Uh, it reminds me a little bit uh, of, well, sorry, I'm going to say this, but of One Piece. Uh, it's, Whatever. It, <laughs> <laughs> I know you're sick of hearing me talk about One Piece. Well, it's just that I... It cannot relate, but that's okay. <laughs> but it, it, it does, it's a very similar thing that, uh, it's a very similar uh, style of storytelling that One Piece does where they keep building up a villain so much, like, just being this, just this utterly nasty, evil person that's just sort of all-encompassing and, like, seemingly never defeatable, and then there's that one mo moment where Luffy gets a punch-in and you realize that everything's gonna be okay. That's kind of the sense I got from that moment when Tadara actually knocks away Gaju. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, and then, what? Did, how'd you feel about the fact that, uh, Hyodo showed back up? I don't know. I mean, to me, I don't really know why that is creating pressure for people, like Sengoku freaks out at the end, and, I mean, I don't think that Hyodo's been built up to the point where we should know why that's intimidating or special. Like, maybe it's... I, if anything, I would think it would only be weird for Gaju and Shizuku. Um, but everyone's reacting to it. Like, what does this have to do with anyone else? I'm going to disagree with you there. I actually That was actually one of the more subdued parts that I actually kind of liked about the episode. The reason why they're freaking out about it, if you recall, what uh, during the prior cup, which the name is escaping me at the moment, but during the, the cup that... Isn't that uh, the Prince Mikasa? Yeah, the Prince Mikasa cup. Uh, during that cup, the last thing that Sengoku wanted was to, like, basic, like, he did not want, uh, Kyoto to get, like, to be, like, motivated to get out onto the dance floor, because he knew about his injury. And, like, you know, the whole reason why Kyoto was, like, putting himself through that, like, torturous like, process... Uh, was because, like, he was so upset with Tadara that he got goaded into it, almost. Like, you know, he was so... Like, he's so into ballroom dancing that he's not even taking care of himself. So, and, you know, I think what he... What everybody is kind of freaking out about is because he did They didn't want uh, ta uh, Hyodo to kind of see this competition because he didn't want to see that Tadara was still using some of the moves he learned from Hyodo, which, you know, was something that Hyodo was already kind of put off by. You know, and also seeing, like, Shizuku sort of dump him. You know, they didn't want to, like... They didn't want to... Pre he didn't, they didn't want him to feel the pressure to get back out on the dance floor again. Yeah, I, I guess, except they had already addressed half of that because, you know, Tadara had this whole thing with Gaju where Gaju was mad at him for stealing Hyoto's moves. And what I got from that was Tadara effectively told Sengoku, like, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to focus on what you taught me 
And so I'm not going to use other people's moves. I'm going to use this thing that we have together. Um, so for me, that wasn't even as much. I was like, okay, there's no tension there because Hyodo showed up after the first round when Tadara had used his moves. But now it's not a threat because Tadara's already said he's not going to do that anymore. Right. The only thing I would say about that was that Tadara has a tendency to get kind of lost into his dancing. Uh-huh. Like, that was already sh- uh, showed in this... Like, that was already established in this episode. Uh-huh. Because, like, he, you know, uh, uh, Sengoku was asked... You know, you know, he asked uh, Tadara to remember some a time he had fun. You know, that's what he wants... You know, that's what he wants to, him to remember out on the dance floor. And what did he remember? He remembered dancing at the Prince Mikasa Cup. Uh, so, you know, it's like, it's not necessarily something that I think Tadara has full control over. Not only that, but there is still also the element of uh, Shizuku kind of, sort of dancing with somebody else to sort of like, yeah. you know, kind of show like, hey, you know, I've moved on from you, jerk. Like, you, this is what you get for not talking to me. You know, it's going to make, it, like, I think what they're trying to avoid is sending him further into a, like, a spiral because of that. You know, Tadara can't necessarily be controlled here, and then he's also got to deal with, like, the sort of emotional realization of, I've lost Shizuku. Uh-huh. I don't know. Uh, um, I, I don't necessarily know if that's how it's going to play out, but, I mean, I guess that would be, that would be interesting. I just... To me, the, the Hyodo and Shizuku are the least interesting characters because they're played so reserved that, like, yeah, you can infer a lot about them, but you're not... Like, that's more on the viewer than anything the show is doing, you know? Yeah, I guess, but I, I don't know. I think that's actually what makes them a bit more... I guess the problem is that Hyodo is a little bit more interesting to me than Shizuku because Shizuku is just sort of being sort of a wallflower right now. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think that segues well because she did have that moment with Gaju where she talks about, you know, why they paired up and they have the little flashback and she says basically she paired up with Gaju so she could broaden her horizons. Um, right. And because she wanted to do, like, she just wanted to be exposed to new kinds of dancing. She wanted to grow herself. I like the fact that she, the way she phrases and the way she talks about her partnership with Gaju is that this is something that is going to benefit her and it's some, right. it's something where that she needs for her own career so i like it because a lot of times recently we've sort of like had Shizuku just supporting anybody who shows up um but i like this that it says you know even if that's how it appears to other people she clearly has the power in the relationship I guess that's fair. Like, I mean, Gaju, you know, for all the blustering that Gaju makes about, like, oh, you know, it's like the leader's the one, the only one that really matters here. Yeah. Like, you know, there is, I guess, that sort of nice little reminder from Shizuku. It's like, you know, you're only here because of me. Like, mm-hmm. you, you may think that you're the leader here, but don't forget who, like, don't forget that without me, you're not actually able to get out there on that dance floor. So don't think, it's like, I guess that's fair. I, I will say I'm mainly referring to like the past few episodes where she's basically yeah no just I know of, and I and that's all I'm saying is that this is kind of a pleasant contradiction. That, that's fair and that's that's fair. I had forgotten about that and I did forget about the part where she did sort of stand up a little bit to uh, Tadara as well. Basically, be like, you know, basically tell him it's like you don't it's like you really think dancing is this easy? Like, don't think you can just it like there is this kind of reminder it's like don't forget that Gaju's not the only one here you're in competition with yeah exactly like it's like I'm part of this duo too and don't think you can just easily beat me like that yeah uh we would be remiss if we didn't bring up the portion of the episode that elicited a deep sigh uh from <laughs> both of us just because you know it's the stuff that if people are talking about this show this is the stuff people are talking about yeah, uh, is that so? Before the dance starts, um, Mako has disappeared. They're like, "Oh, where's Mako? Where's Mako?" She shows up right before their heat, and there's a solid five seconds of watching her running towards Tadara with her suddenly larger breasts bouncing up and down in ways that I'm not sure are accurate to how the human body moves they were just going in all sorts of directions right well, uh, but so the reason and so the reason for that <laughs> as you re- realize later at one point they get bumped into 
they hit each other in the chest, and then flying out from her chest are like a dozen uh, breast pads. And so right. she had just stacked these pads on top of her breast to make her breast look bigger. And then yeah. everyone trips on her breast pads and everyone laughs at her for her dress falling apart. And it's just sort yeah. of, again, like, it's not per- as pervy as it might sound, but it is just kind of groan-inducing. Like, oh, that girl didn't have breasts and then her brother made fun of her breasts, which is weird in itself. Uh, right. And then she put pads in her breasts and then the pads fell out and now she has one big breast and one little one. Isn't that hilarious? And I'm like, well, I th- no, not really. I mean, I did kind of get the sense that the crowd was not just laughing at that, but uh, at the fact that everybody was sort of slipping around as well. Yeah, but um, exactly. But, but then it just, they disappear. So, like, everybody falls down, but then the effect of it wears off immediately and they're back in it and somehow having her... Like, her dress come open and, like, being embarrassed in public to make her dance better. Well, so this was actually the part that really frustrated me about that sequence as well, was that the implication I got was if that hadn't have happened, they probably would have lost. Yeah. But, uh, but because of that, like, it actually knocked some people out of the competition because, you know, they lost their form. Yeah, uh, you know, because you know they're slipping during the competition, and that's marked down. Even I don't. I don't think. Clearly... I don't think that's what it was implying. I think what it was implying is because they were really nervous at first, and then right. once that happened, it loosened them up, and they did better. I don't think there was anything in the show to say like, "Oh, it was like a trick." I think they, if if that had been what they were trying to say, well, I don't. I don't think that they were trying to make it a trick. No, no, I no. I'm saying how... that like I don't think the show wants you to think that. Oh, okay, fair enough. Because, like, someone would have said something. Like, someone would have made some direct comment. I think it was just, like, a goof for goof's sake, but, like, this show doesn't know how to be goofy without also being gross. Yeah, no, you're right. That's fair. I mean, like, at the very least, you'd think if that happened, then, you know... Because, you know, you'd think they'd be, like, penalized for that? Almost? Exactly. So there's, there's a lot of questions. I have another question for you, Matt. Sure. Can we move on? Yeah, sure. Do you want to talk about Dive? Sure. Uh, Alright, so Dive Episode 7 focuses uh, actually kind of split between uh, Okitsu and Tomo this episode. Uh, So there's a lot of focus where Asaki has to sit down with Okitsu and talk about how he has back pain and they know it, but they ended up choosing not to disclose that they knew it until he was able to send, you know, have the joy of being in competition um so okitsu talks this over with a bunch of people and eventually uh by the end of the episode he leaves home uh to to go back up north um for reasons that are yet unstated uh separately tomo is told that uh he's been selected essentially as the second backup to go to beijing uh but for you know several reasons that don't really matter uh the first two get um, disinvited, and so he ends up going to Beijing himself, or he's invited to go to Beijing, but he doesn't want to go because he wants to earn it. He doesn't want to go as a backup, uh, but then everyone convinces him, you should go anyway, even if you're a backup. So he does. <laughs> and that's the episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's pretty much it. I mean, there's not really a whole lot more beyond that. Um, something I will say about this episode... I haven't been big on a on Okitsu in the past. I don't know what it was about this episode that sort of made me click with the character all of a sudden. Um, like, like it's weird. Like he, like I've always kind of seen him as being like the weak point in the series. But I don't know something about like his conversation with Tomo in this episode sort of endeared him to me. Well, I just um, like that he's not one dimensional for once. You know, he's not just yeah. like the angry. Uh, tough guy he's like you know once he had his injury exposed and once he was able to get in competition like it just sort of knocked him off his rhythm a little bit and he was able to interact with people like a person for once right um and i thought that was interesting too i i think it's interesting that like this friendship that uh tomo and okitsu are forming because they are kind of parallels to one another in a way because they both have a very pure view of diving. 
Mm-hmm. Like, Tomo has this sort of, like, innocent, childlike, like, pure, like, love of the sport. While Okitsu, while he's a little bit older, he does have this very, like, you know, he sort of got into diving isolated by everybody else. Like, he kind of developed his own form, and, you know, he has this very stubborn view about what diving is. And, you know, I think that's an interesting way for the two characters to actually connect a little bit, because they're both so, like, they're kind of naive in their both way, but they kind of help each other. They kind of balance each each other out in a kind of weird way. Yeah. Uh, I guess. Uh, this, this episode overall didn't really click with me. Um, okay. It felt like there was kind of a lot of repetition and a lot of people having the same conversations over and over. Like, from where we started at the beginning of the episode, I don't feel like Tomo deserved as much time as he got just to, like, get to where he ended up of, like, I guess I'll go to Beijing. And also, the the conflict felt a little... I don't know. It felt a little random just because until very recently he had been on the outside looking in and then suddenly uh, you know he goes to one competition and now he's like oh no it would sully my honor to go as a backup you know well i i think again you we need to kind of look at him like a junior high student would Mm. um because you know he has this very nice again he has this sort of naive view of diving like he feels like because he didn't get, like, first place, you know, he didn't compare, you know, he wasn't their first choice. You know, he's just being thrown in as being this backup, you know. That doesn't mean that he's really that great at diving. He was just the last one that they decided to pick. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, there's kind of this weird, like, he doesn't have this understanding yet that what they're not, they're not looking for the people who are necessarily the best at the moment. They're looking for the people with the most interesting potential. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, and it's kind of, you know, he needs to kind of learn how to make peace with that. Because, like, a lot of the show is based around, like, a lot of the conflict of the show is based around the fact that Tomo doesn't understand, like, the adult world. You know, how the world works. You know, this is a coming-of-age story for him. Um, so, you know, he does, so, you know, he kind of needs to understand, like, look, no, you're not being chosen because you're the best, but who cares? Right. Kind of like, you know, I, I, there's a great line that Yoichi says, you know, he's like, yeah, you know, like, okay, fine, so they don't pick you, then who's, then they, they could have just as easily picked, uh, like, Pinky or, uh, or one of the other divers there, like, to go in, in your place as opposed to Okitsu, mm-hmm. like, but you were still chosen over them, that still doesn't mean you're bad, man, yeah. like, it's, th- like, but you gotta understand, like, you can't just not go, like, you can't, keep clinging to this idea that this isn't a competition or that you're not good enough to be yeah like so i i agree with you and yet at the same time i just i i i am not convinced that this development isn't stuff that we haven't either already gotten in other words or we couldn't get by implication like basically where i come down is the content is fine and good it's not objectionable, it's just that it feels like the story kind of lagged a lot this week, and you know, I, there wasn't really much to get excited about, which, you don't need to be excited every episode, but... Right. And I think this episode does highlight kind of a major weakness of the series, which is, I, I do think that even at its best, the show is a little dry. Yeah. Um, it's a little dry in its presentation, like, because it's basically just a lot of conversations that people have between one another. That's not necessarily, like, bad, but it is kind of a little boring. Yeah. Can uh, I can I mention to... something that I thought wasn't boring? Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, so, th- I, I didn't mention it in the summary, but there's a third plot line going through this episode that... Uh, Tomo's friend Ryo, who right. is also in the diving club, he's the one with the the messy, uh, longer brown hair. Um, after he does so poorly in the meet, he decides that he wants to quit diving, and so he quits diving. And most people don't really bring it up. Uh, some of the other secondary divers sort of mention it. Um, 
And then he, uh, Rio ends up running into his other friend Ohira, who, or, you know, Reiji, I, I guess as he calls him. Um, and they talk about, like, oh, Rio, like, why did, why did you want to quit? And effectively what? he says, oh, I used to be really good without having to try. Uh, and then everybody else got better than me. And even when I did try, I wasn't as good as them. Uh, and he says that, what does he say? That it's stupid to work hard for something where you don't get results. Uh, which everyone just sort of says, okay, bye. Um, <laughs> and I'm not sure one. I, I assume this is something they'll come back to, but the episode pretty much leaves that message hanging in the air that, like, why try for something you're not immediately good at? Um, it, it is an interesting conflict because, you know, it's like you can... You can hem and haw over, you know, as much as you want about, uh, you know, it's like, you know, you do something for passion, you know, it's like, like, it shouldn't matter whether or not you're good about it, just so long as you're good at it, just as long as you're passionate about it. But isn't sometimes, you know, your passion actually connected by how well you perceive yourself to be at it? Hmm. Like, like, it's easy to say, like, you know, it's like, you can't, you shouldn't worry about how good you are at it when you already think you're good at it, you know? Like, part of that is wanting to get better at it and, you know when he sees himself in comparison to all of these other people who are just doing so much better than him you know what can he really do yeah is it's just that he realized he's not as good as he thought he was yeah yeah exactly hmm well i, I guess i guess that makes sense especially if we're talking about someone who's you know 14 <laughs> right exactly like it's like you know what do you, do you really want to give up your uh you know your kind of your free time, your your free days in junior high when you don't have nearly as many concerns yeah. to spend, like, diving. And, I mean, you know, it's a common theme throughout these shows. And, you know, it's interesting to see a show that's genuinely trying to push the narrative. You know, it's okay maybe to give up if you're not having fun with it anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, something that I'm not sure I'm having fun with anymore is Fastest Finger First. Oh! Um, so, no. I, I, I mean, that was a little harsh. But, uh, so Fastest Finger First episode... Seven, um, it's another filler episode. Uh, so they discuss the regular meet and how all the schools are going to meet up at the girls' school, Asagaoka. Uh, they, the kids from Buzo end up doing a practice session with a paper quiz, uh, and Sasajima criticizes all of them for being bad at quizzes. Um, they decide that they're going to study a lot. Shocking. Uh, you get some background on Fukami's older brother, who got her excited about Quiz Bowl in the first place. Apparently he was a natural, and he went on to Kaijo, uh, but ended up quitting Quiz Bowl. Uh, and you meet him by the end of the episode, and he says that he doesn't see any point in anyone doing Quiz Bowl, uh, because it doesn't accomplish anything. Uh, whereas, separately, Sasajima... When asked why he does Quiz Bowl, he said, uh, do you need a reason to do what you love? Uh, the episode ends with the mystery girl showing up again. Uh, it turns out that she, uh, this person is a sibling of Chiaki, who is the captain of Asagaoka. Um, and it's pretty clear that this person is a boy and a crossdresser and also a villain. Right. Um... So, yeah, there wasn't really a lot of note in this episode. Um, yeah, there, like, it was fine. It just sort of, it just sort of feels like the series is treading water until we get to the competition. Like Exactly, it, it, but it's done that for two weeks. So, like, at this point, this is episode seven, and it's been right. two episodes treading water, so it's like... Over 25% of the show is filler, somehow, and we're only seven episodes in. Like, I don't know if it's necessarily quite filler. Okay, like, yeah, I, it's I, just not moving stuff forward very fast. Right. It's like, we got a little bit of backstory for Fukami, you yeah. know, and why she got into Quiz Bowl, which, you know, is That's nice. great, but that wasn't most of the episode. Right. Um, you know, we kind of, we do see the club is developing a little bit because now they have buzzers, and I'm not gonna lie, I love the buzzers. Oh, yeah. I, I do love their personalized bu buzzers that actually make animal noises when they press them. Yeah, I kind of hope they don't get rid of them, but they probably will. 
No, well, because it's like, I, I can't see them, like, using them, of course, in, like, the main competitions, but, like, I mean, what are they gonna do? Like, are they gonna tell her, no, rebuild these, uh, these buzzers you made from us and go buy new parts? I don't think that they're gonna be able to do that. <laughs> well, they did literally say that in the episode. Right. I guess. I don't know. Um, I... I kind of I kind of want to talk about the end, real okay. quick. Um, so we, you know, we did theorize last week that this mystery girl was a crossdresser based on some of like the mannerisms and the voice actor, and right. that wasn't explicitly confirmed, but it was functionally confirmed, right? Because uh, uh, this this person had been wearing a wig earlier, and when talking to Chiaki. And, like, ran in wearing one of Chiaki's dresses. Chiaki's like, well, why would you wear those clothes? You know? And the implication right. was because you can't wear those clothes because you're a boy. Um, right. And also just really highlighted, you know, this person's, who still doesn't have a name, uh, fixation on um, on Koshiyama. So I think right. that's just going to get, like, kind of gross and boring. Yeah, and, like, that's kind of the, like, that's the problem here, too, is, you know, she asks, you know, it's like, oh, what are you gonna, like, why are you gonna, like, are you not used to this person wearing these types of clothes around you? Yeah, like, I, again, I think that was just lazy writing, because they had to somehow bring up the fact that this person isn't a girl, so right. they had to have this super awkward conversation that they would never actually have in real life if they already knew the situation. Right, and I mean, I guess what they're trying to do with that line is that they're because what they're trying to do is you're trying to they're trying to fake you out, like oh, so does this person not go to the school? Mm -hmm. And then there's going to be this sort of like realization of oh, they're a boy, and it's exactly. like, come on, guys, like, yeah, you, ugh, it's this... it's so unsubtle, it's right, yeah. like, and it's just and it's uncar, it like like I said, it, like they could still be very tasteful with this character, yeah, but right. It, but it doesn't look like it's going to be, so it's kind of already sort of hampering our enjoyment knowing that, like, it's going to be kind of offensive and just sort of mean-spirited. Yeah, and just kind of lazy, I think, as much as yeah. anything, because this is such a boring archetype, the evil crossdresser. And it's, yeah. like, I, I don't think the show needed it. I don't think it's gonna, like, be doing anything it couldn't have done without that. Right. Um, like, you could... Yeah. But so um, something I could do without is Clean Freak Ayama-kun. <laughs> uh, do you want to discuss it? Yeah, sure. So there's a hot girl that apparently Aoyama can touch, and everybody thinks they're going out, and it turns out that they aren't. Matt, what are your thoughts about the episode? Yeah, that's it. Uh, that is the episode. Yeah, so there's this girl named Odagiri who appears... That, that's, that, that's my issue with the show, is that apparently they've decided that's how they want to run thing, is they'll have characters who are either just in the background or have literally never shown up before, and then yep. make them the complete focus for one episode, and then basically forget about them after that. Right. Uh, this episode did have a little bit more with the prior clean freak, whose name I've already forgotten. I know we have it in the notes, but I don't care about him. Um, but, like, he did have a little interaction with... Uh, with Aoyama this episode because he was because you know they were playing their online game yes thank you Narita um he uh the Narita the the other clean freak he uh uh, they, he was playing the online game with Aoyama you know they did have a quick conversation about this girl that apparently Aoyama can touch um and uh but I mean like it's still such like an unnecessary well arc. yeah because all all it comes down to is at one point this girl touches Aoyama and it doesn't make him freak out. And so then throughout the episode, he like puts himself in different situations where he could come into contact with Odagiri and see if it'll make him freak out. He confirms that like if he touches other girls' hands, it does bother him, but not this one girl. And so they get all the way to the end of the episode and you figure, okay, there's going to be some revelation like, oh, right. is he a like attracted to her so this is why it doesn't affect him or it, it, does she have some special power you know that that makes it so he's not affected by it uh and the revelation is nobody knows and it just keeps happening and whatever right like it, it's it's like i was actually almost impressed with the episode here because they were really kind of like hammering home it's like 
yeah, Aoyama is weirdly comfortable with this one girl. Like, are they actually going to make it so that he d- is actually, like, infatuated with her? D- is he actually going to show, like, a little bit of humanity? What's the ending joke? Oh, uh, we don't know why he can touch her. He just can. Yeah, exactly. And like, they, they have this this thing going throughout the whole episode where all of his fans are distraught and uh, beside themselves because he has a girlfriend uh, and they don't know what to do with themselves anymore but then when it turns out that they're not actually dating uh, everyone is so excited which I guess is supposed to sort of treat him like he's an idol and it's kind of like both of them are basically put on this pedestal like pop idols where everybody wishes they could date them but they are extremely resentful when anyone actually might date them Right. Um, uh, I I will give Odagiri just a little bit of credit here. The characters' designs in this series are so freaking boring. Like, like we're supposed to buy that like Aoyama is just this pr- incredibly handsome, perfectly like like sort of like unnaturally beautiful man, yeah. and it's like he looks like any other guy in the series. Right. Odagiri, at the very least, she. This is the first character I have seen in this show where I look at the character and I think, "Yep, she's definitely like, she definitely fills the niche that she's supposed to." Because yeah, you know what? She like she has a very attractive, cute design. Like I get why all the guys are into her. Sort of like I, I get how she could be like based off of her design. I get that. Yeah, what, that they, they're they're like, actually sending the message they're trying to send. Yeah, exactly. Now, whether or not that message is actually a good one, because, you know, honestly, I'm also not thrilled with the idea that, you know, there's just just this impossibly perfect girl that, like, oh, so, like, she and the main character are totally going to get together, and it's like, that starts to, like, you know, that starts to feel, like, uncomfortably towards day's levels of self-insertion, almost. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, with the author trying to be like, oh, and then I got with this super cute girl because I'm supposed to be Aoyama, who's, like, ridiculously popular, and it's like... (sighs) Yeah, I feel like the self-insert character in this show, though, is the professional manga author. Yeah, you're probably (laughs) right. At the very least, I will if that's the case, like, I will give him that he does have the decency to make fun of himself in that regard... Yeah. But, I, I don't know. Well, one other note that I need to, to, to mention, unfortunately, is uh, this is our second instance this week of a breast explosion. <laughs> um, because they're having... Aoyama wants to see whether he can have an arm wrestling match with Odagiri. Because that's, I guess, something he's always wanted to do. And so, he does. But the arm wrestling match is so intense... That one of the buttons pops off of Odagiri's shirt and her breasts pop out. And she's like, oh, I wanted to keep going. Why are you taking me away? And everyone else is like, OMG, her breasts popped out. And um, it's just, it, it, it for me, I think it might have been my deepest sigh. Because it was so <laughs> pointless. Like, all it, all it did was tell the audience that the uh, girl whose character design has very large breasts has very large breasts. (laughs) It's like, oh, guys, here, look, here's a peek. You got bored during this episode? You're not laughing? Well, here, here's some boobs. Yeah, seriously, it's just a close-up on breasts popping out, and then, like, boing-a-ing-a-ing-a-ing. It's, like, it's awful. Uh, This this show is not a good show. And it's like, could you not have thought of a different punchline for how that could have ended? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Also, real quick, uh, something I really did not talk about. So the beginning of this episode is, like, they're playing basketball during P.E., and the whole oh. thing is that this girl is, like, super athletic, but she can't make a shot to save her life. Yeah. Apparently. But that still makes her a starter on the basketball team. Yeah, don't ask why. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, she could have been a passing expert, like uh, like Kuroko or something like I that. Yes, but, but that was n- there was no reason to believe that. Yeah, I know. Based on the show's understanding of sports, there's no reason to believe that they would actually, like, have that level of insight. Right. Um, but, yeah, the whole point is, like, not only... Is, like, anyway, the whole takeaway from this is not only is Aoyama good at soccer, he's also perfect at basketball. Yeah, exactly. Like, literally, he's better than the basketball team at basketball. Why? Because he can... He has a feeling for right. it. Right. 
Which, I guess, okay, fine, like, he may not be able to explain why he's good at stuff, but they don't even try to address it. They're just like, he's good because, of course, he's perfect at everything. Why wouldn't yeah, he he's, be? he's basically the best. He's only held back by his obsessive compulsiveness. Right. Uh, but I'm done with talking about Clean Freak. Do you want to move on to something we like? Uh, sure, if we must. Okay, um, cool. <laughs> um, right, so we got uh, Big Wind-Up episode 20. Uh, it starts off in the bottom of the sixth, and uh, Mahashi manages to get out of the inning on three pitches by pitching right to the edge of the zone. Um, in the top of the seventh, Nishira is back up to bat. Um, Mahashi strikes out. Abe is able to get a hit, steal second, get driven all the way to third, but he can't come around to score because of a strikeout. Then in the bottom of the seventh, uh, Abe is again worried that Mahashi is overexerting himself. Um, they end up giving up a, a couple fluke singles, and because of the rain, uh, a runner on th- third scores because uh, Mahashi slips dur- and he throws a wild pitch. Um, ultimately, they are able to get out of the inning um, because uh, Mahashi is able to use couple pitches that people aren't expecting as he often does uh and despite some fears that they might call the game because of the rain they don't (laughs) (laughs) fair enough i'm glad you ended on that as well because that's kind of that was kind of my main takeaway from this episode i really like how the series up to this point has been sort of sort of subtly hinting about how the rain is actually going to play an effect on, or is going to make an effect on this game. Uh-huh. Uh, because, and it's like, it's this constant looming threat. Like, we saw it at the beginning of, like, towards the beginning of the game when actually a runner, a uh, pitcher on Tose messes up because the, uh, his finger slipped trying to do his screwball. Uh, you know, and at first it's like, oh, awesome, great, like, great, we got this sort of, uh, you know, we actually managed to pick up like, we used to, we got, like, we benefited from it, essentially. Uh, from, you know, because of the rain, you know, like, hooray, our heroes benefited from the rain. Later on, we get a pitch, like, from Mihashi, uh, where it, the ball actually gets grounded, but they manage to pick themselves up from it, uh, because, you know, it gets stuck in the mud. It's a grounder that gets just stuck, like, right in front of the pitcher's mound, but they're able to sort of pick up from it. Now, this episode, we actually have, like, a severe screw-up thanks to the rain. It's been this sort of gradual process, but the series has been slowly establishing how the rain is actually playing an effect on the team, on either one of these teams, and how it's going to affect this game. And they they just, it's like, it's not so much of a benefit, it's not so beneficial for Nishiura anymore, because now Mihashi is slipping in the rain, and now they're behind, and there's the constant looming threat now that the the game could get canceled because of this rain. Right, and if the game gets canceled, because they've played so many innings, if the game gets called now, it would just be the end of the game. They would just call it and let Tose win. Right, it's like, there's been this sort of constant looming pressure, and I love that this, like, this rain has been used for so long, and is like, now it's actually, like, a severe threat to how, like, to the story now. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, I th- so, and I think that's great. Speaking of a severe threat to the story, I had one of my few instances where I didn't understand why the show was doing what it was doing. Um, towards the end of the episode, uh, Mihashi is like running his head under the water to try and cool, right. cool down. And while he's doing so, his cousin runs into the locker room to tell him... <laughs> that his old teammate Kano won the game for Mihoshi Academy. Right. And that really bothered me because, like, why would this person who cares about Mihoshi think that interrupting him during a game in which he's still pitching to tell him about the success of someone else would be helpful? Uh, yeah, it, it was a Because it's like, my understanding of the scene is that it's being done to sort of convey... You know, it's supposed to add more to that pressure about the rain. Because it's like, the reason why they won is because their game got rained out and they yeah. were in the lead yeah. at the time. Yeah, and, and you know, why like, would you tell that to the team that's behind? 
Right. Like, I, I don't know. I guess she was just excited because earlier in the episode, she was talking very fondly of all the members of Miha- of Mihashi Academy. So Mihoshi. It, she, or Mihoshi, sorry. <laughs> Mihashi Mihoshi. Yeah. It's very confusing. Um, but I guess you're supposed to infer... This was actually something I liked because she was talking about the other, like, the people that she knew from the, uh, from Mihoshi Academy... Uh, while Mihashi is up at plate, you know, first of all, it's a nice way to sort of, like, get some exposition out while not... While, you know, the kind of game goes on in the background because it's not really an important part of the game. It's like, okay, Mihashi's gonna strike out, whatever. That's not the... Yeah. It's like, we can but, convey that, but, but why would she have to... Why would she have to tell him? Like, it, it I just... Guess she... it, and I guess what, what bothered me even more than that was the fact that it helped. Like, because why would that... I mean... I get it that Mihashi's character is one where you can't really predict what's going to freak him out. And things that shouldn't freak people out do freak him out. And things that should freak people out make him calm down okay. But it just seemed... uh, To me, it was just frustrating because I feel like anyone who knows anything about baseball would know that that's inappropriate. Not to mention running into someone's locker room while they're in the shower is inappropriate. Yeah, it was kind of a weak way, to, because it's like, I felt like the author was just trying to communicate some information, and, and there could have been, like, you could have easily done that just by having a sequence where they're focusing on the, uh, where, you, like, you, you can just have her talking with the with her on, she's like, oh, I just got a message from, yeah. uh, from Kano, like, you know. Or, oh, they, or they could just be in the dugout and, like, the PA could make an announcement about other games going on. That would be, like, a lot more neutral and a lot more believable. Right. So, I I don't know. I guess because it's, like, the author had the character in the shower at the time. Yeah. And they wanted to convey... I guess you're also supposed to buy from this character from, uh, from his cousin that, you know, she doesn't seem to really understand boundaries, I guess. Like, she is sort of weirdly obsessive and protective of Mihashi, Mihashi, so she doesn't quite get that. I'll admit that it was kind of a... I'm just saying, it was... Yeah, for the show, it was weak. Because I I expect more realism and a little more nuance from the show. Right. So that's all That was a little strange. No, you're right. You're right. I would agree with that. Um, so, uh, kind of switching topics here. Something I thought was actually a nice little understated uh, moment of character growth. Something I didn't actually catch when we originally watched the series before. Mainly because I didn't even remember the character. Um, but uh, I thought it was interesting. Abe is very concerned about Mihashi's pitch count. Which I think is an interesting moment of growth for Abe, actually. Based on what we know about his history with Haruna. Because his whole thing with Haruna was that, you know, he was very frustrated that Haruna would not, like, ever go past his own pitch count, you know. You know, Haruna would basically, like, okay, I made it to this number and I'm done. Like, you know, and that really frustrated uh, Abe a lot. But now we actually have the reverse situation where Mihashi is not actually taking into... He's not even considering his own pitch count. In the, uh, during this game, he's not understanding what this is doing to him, but it's Abe is the one who's actually like getting actively concerned about his pitch count now. Yeah, uh, and I thought that was an interesting little because he's starting to understand what it's like. He maybe like it's one of those things where I feel like he probably understood it mentally, but he's coming to a point where he's understanding emotionally why the pitch count is such a big deal. Uh, because, you know, he can see this through his friend Mihashi. You know, he sees how Mihashi is sort of beating, is constantly beating himself up over not being good enough and constantly trying to push himself to do better. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, but, and, you know, you know, Abe is sort of partially responsible for that because, you know, he is, because Mihashi is constantly trying to do things for Abe. You know, he really wants to impress Abe. Um, and I th- and I thought it was interesting to actually see uh, Abe show concern about Mihashi's own pitch count for once. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I mean, I think he, based on like the the grip, he was afraid they were going to have to switch pitchers, and like who knows what would happen if Hanai's in there pitching. Although I admit, I kind of want to see. Right. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, like it'll be an interesting mix up if they end up going in that. Uh, yeah. And they might, because I literally have, don't remember what happens at all, so I'm, <laughs> I, I don't even remember if they win or lose. No spoilers, Matt. Um, okay, fair enough. And, 
yeah, the 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 last thing I just wanted to say about this is they talk a lot about how um, Mahashi has a rising fastball. Right. That's kind of a, a funny term in, in baseball because no fastball literally goes up. Like e- every fastball drops because that's just right. how the way that people like the in, in order to do an overhand pitch, like you can't have the ball rise because gravity is a thing. Um, right. Or so say the quote-unquote scientists. And <laughs> uh, what, what a rising fastball is, it, it's basically a pitch that gives the impression that it's rising only because it doesn't dip as drastically as you expect it to um, because it has more backspin than an average fastball. Um, okay. So while it doesn't literally go up, uh, because batters expect a fastball to drop to a certain point based on where it's released, when it doesn't drop that far, it looks like it's going up because of where they predict it's going to go. Okay. Uh, So I just wanted to make a note, because that's a term that gets thrown around a lot, but they didn't describe it in the show. Right. Awkward pause, and the end. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks for inviting me on the show this week, Matt. No problem, buddy. Anytime. Uh, So we will see you all next week. Bye. Our logo design is by James Ratcliffe. The theme music is Fly High by Burnout Syndromes, covered and performed by Luke Bartka. You can follow Koshiancast on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, and our email is koshiancast at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We will be back next week with the best and worst from the world of sports anime, and until then, keep training.